0: Hey guys, welcome back to EarSense. I am your host, The Ear God. This is a podcast where we are collaborating ideas to create greatness, bringing music lovers and creators alike to one show. I like to roll with the punches and try to give you a different flavor with each episode, whether I'm doing interviews, breaking down a mix that I've recently worked on, or giving you some insight in what I have learned through my journey in this creative life. We got a lot of fun topics to cover today, so let's get into it. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to episode 5 of AirSense. It's been about a month since I released episode 4. I had an awesome interview with my good friend C-Money Wave and my special guest host, Peso. It was an incredible experience to do my first ever interview. I was very nervous at first because I wanted to make sure we covered as much of the album as we possibly could while having fun at the same time. I mean, you gotta love mimosas. I think I had a lot of questions ready to go, but once the interview started, I just put them to the side and went with the flow. If you are listening for the first time now, I'd highly recommend going back and taking a listen. Don't be afraid to check out his album, Surfer Drowned, as well. I had the fortunate opportunity of recording, mixing, and mastering the entire album. While I was putting together this episode, it brought me to an interesting topic. What is the difference between a mixtape and an album? Between 2000 and 2010, mixtapes were essentially a free body of work that has samples, beats, or remixes that were not cleared for commercial release. The first mixtapes I can remember were by DJ Green Lantern when he dropped The Evil Genius Part 2. Around the time when 50 Cent vs. Ja Rule, Eminem vs. Benzino, and Escalated between Shady Records and Murder, Inc. In the mid-2000s, we started to see a shift when Double XL started to release their yearly freshman covers. Up-and-coming artists like Drake, Kid Cudi, Asher Roth, Wiz Khalifa, Mac Miller, and many more were crafting free albums. From 2010 till now, we started seeing a shift. The lines between tape and album became even more blurred. So what is the difference now? Some utilize the method of a mixtape being a compilation of singles and an album having a concept with much more details. Let's take Drake, for instance. Comeback Season. A mixtape of songs that were using other people's beats. So far gone a very unique way of using beats as samples or a foundation to create a unique sound with a concept. If you're reading this, it's too late. Drake described it as a body of work that was meant to be released for free. While Cash Money Records wanted to make it an official release, it has been highly regarded as one of his top five projects. More Life, a 22-song playlist of music that takes you through the many styles of what Drake has portrayed throughout his career, plus new sounds. For some artists, some mixtapes are a collection of singles released exclusively on streaming sites. With the decade of the 2010s reaching an end, will we see a linear path of trying to separate the two? Or will we see a new shift like this decade killing off the CD and bringing more value towards streaming? I think we're in a really interesting period of music right now, and we're going to see a whole new shift with technology even within this next decade in the 2020s. You have people like Russ who put out a single every single week and over the course of a year, eight of those songs go multi-platinum and another slew of those singles go gold. You have somebody like Drake who can put out an album every single year and go platinum and go in the billions of streams. And then you have also something like putting out a playlist with 22 songs and putting on an equal amount of songs as a double album. And it's all based on just the perception and the storyline as well as the transition and the creative spectrum on the inside of it that we really don't get to see. Now, as an independent artist, it's a little bit different because you wanna maximize how you spend your money, put out your music, and what is going to maximize the numbers for you in the beginning, so that way when it comes to putting out a project, you solidify those numbers. Now, that's a little bit different for every artist because certain artists that i work with love putting out projects there's something about working on a project from start to finish and having a body of work that you can put out share with the world that has a story a concept uh, a way of th- your show that you put on because you can perform all those single songs in one show and even the merch because that has the more visual aspect of your project now when it comes to singles Those are going to be the things that are very spontaneous, it's very instant, and those have a very short shelf life in terms of how popular they can get in a specific amount of period of time. Typically, when I work with artists and I recommend them putting out a single, to me, your run of a single is going to be about 90 days. So to me, every 90 days, you should be putting out a new single and putting money into marketing as well as maybe doing some video, if not, some sort of content that's going to push your music forward. If you're going to do an EP, to me, five to six songs is a really great number because you get to showcase different styles of your artistry and that's going to widen your audience to different styles of people that want or may just be interested in your music. To me, singles are going to be the ones that are going to drive the most depth And then to me, to be honest with you, if you're putting out anything more than eight songs, that's an album to me, that's going to be the thing that you're going to serve your core fan base of how many consistent amount of people go to listen to your music or go to check out your content. If you go back to the 90s and you take a listen to Reasonable Doubt and you see different interviews that Jay-Z had done on why he made that album, you will hear him say in multiple interviews that he really put that album For the people that live in Brooklyn, that lived in Marcy Projects, that lived the same style of life that he did, that was for them. But it just so happens to be that that was a universal feeling that a lot of people felt, and it grew more than what the intention was. And I think that's where artists need to really understand the psychology of music listeners and even social media nowadays, that TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram Stories and even Twitter, how things can go viral so easily that that is essentially now a really creative tool to be able to tell your story in a micro level to eventually lead into macro results in given time. A lot of people are not patient enough to be able to play the waiting game and say, you know what, let me put out a handful of singles that is going to get me to point A to point B, and then put out an EP from point B to point E, and then eventually... If you do that enough times where you get your first thousand, ten thousand, if not 100,000 followers that are consistently listening to your music, those are going to be the people that you can maximize putting out an album and then not only maximizing your artistry, you're maximizing your results in numbers. Here's my prediction of what's going to happen in the 2020s. The quality of music is getting higher and cheaper no matter what. So it is going to be our job to figure out more creative ways to release it than it is the actual music itself. But if we can find a way to bridge the gap into having high quality, substantial music, then I think we're gonna have a huge renaissance in the artists that are gonna be coming out in the next 10 years. I'm turning corners in the Ghibli with the red guts the best products on the street, place your best such. I've been on so don't never tell me next, sir Mama told me head high, wear my chest, sir. Champagne glass, same hand Philippe when the circle weigh in, top shelf brand delete Earlier this week I released a video on my YouTube channel about my six studio essentials. I was more focused on the gear that never leaves my backpack. Now I want to expand on the fine details in my opinion that creates a better studio experience. The first thing I do when I walk in is to make sure I have a clean studio. Something about having a clean studio makes people very, very happy. The next essential on my list at the studio is candles. Candles to me triggers nostalgia and nostalgia tends to bring the best performance out of artists and me as well. I usually like to go to Target and bulk up on cheap candles that smell really good just because I use them all the time so it gets pretty expensive eventually. The next on my list is essential oils. This is something a little bit different. I feel like is unique to when you come to my sessions. Um, I like to use a diffuser and I diffuse different types of oils depending on the session, and depending on how I feel. One of my favorite ones I like to use is one called Brain Power. It's a mixture of different oils that gets rid of brain fog and enhances creativity. Uh, even different clients that I've subtly used it, they have actually noticed a big difference when it comes to them creating and they feel much more comfortable in the studio. So they usually like to request it, uh, but I always have to tell them it's really expensive. So if you can pitch in for it and I'll be able to keep bringing it to the studio. The next on my list is snacks. Um, I try to have some sort of trail mix or pretzels Uh, when it comes to the studio. A lot of people like to go out and have smoke breaks or uh, like to grab a drink and some things like that. But usually I'll try to keep a healthy alternative where they can keep working and they can stay focused. One of the last things I like to have in the studio usually is like a lighter or joint papers, or sometimes I'll have a couple of blunts at the studio just in case where a client comes in and they forget an essential item when it comes to their ritual. And instead of having them go out of their way, go to a gas station, takes them 15 minutes, come back and then finally get into the session and before you know it, a half hour has passed and that's eating up time that they could be spending on working. Uh, usually I like to cut that time out just being prepared and it really just brings an overall experience and people feel really comfortable when you become the clutch man. Live my life, loveless, every other night a baby she undressed, used to cry to sleep night I count checks, life's so blessed when I learn. So this next segment is going to be for my producers and my engineers we're just going to geek out for a little bit i'm going to give you a rundown some of the gear that i like to use for production some of the plugins that i like to use for engineering and my daw of choice so to start off my daw of choice is going to be pro tools for recording mixing and mastering and for uh, for production i like to use machine 2. so with pro tools i started learning that while i was at full sail It was one of the first programs I really learned how to master and really haven't expanded much out of that besides machine. Uh, This is how I think of it because people always ask me what program should they start using or which one is better. To me, not one is really better than the other. It just depends on what you're doing and what you feel comfortable with using and what's easy for you to learn how to understand. Um, This is how I see it. Logic. FL Studio, Ableton, even Machine as well. To me, those are tools on a wall in your garage. Pro Tools to me is the actual work desk that you're working on. Every other DAW besides Pro Tools has all these different things that makes it unique or people want to use that. Pro Tools is one of those things that It really has nothing to offer in terms of production skill or making your mixes sound better. To me, it's what you implement into it, like the plugins that you use, the VSTs that you use, or the way that you record in style of editing or how you mix. So to me, that is literally the workbench and where you put your tools at. So if you're a Logic user or you're an Ableton user, it's really easy to transfer all those creative tools that you majority do in Logic, but you do kind of the finishing touches in Pro Tools. That's how I usually see it. Now, when it comes to production, I love using Machine because I love Machine Studio. I have the Machine Studio controller and the Complete A49, which is the first generation 49 keyboard controller before they came out with the S series. Um, It's really easy to integrate with Machine, and I have Complete 12 Ultimate. So, all that stuff pulls up into my sessions, and I'm able to pick through different banks of drum kits or VSTs and things like that. Third-party VSTs that I like to use, Omnisphere is a big one. Expand too, I love using that for synth pads or synth leads. Um, What are some different ones? I love using 808 Warfare. I'm not really keen on doing 808s very well. I try to keep it very simple. Um, If I don't use 808 Warfare, usually I'll resort to Splice. Splice is just another tool for me. A lot of people make fun of Splice or Sounds that's by Native Instruments because those are royalty-free loops that, you know, you're really not creating yourself. You're just essentially just like you would buy a loop from Nick Mira um, of Internet Money or from uh, Illmind or something like that. To me, those are essentially just tools that you have in your arsenal to be able to use when it comes to making production. And for me, when I produce, it's about being fast, efficient, and it's fun, and you can get the right amount of ideas for an artist to write a song to. I like to produce after the lyrics are recorded, so I'll get kind of the bed of the track, whether if it's drums, bass, and the initial melody or the main sample of the song, once they write their lyrics, I get to see where that song is gonna go and how I'm going to produce it afterwards. So for me, I really like to keep things minimalistic and it's just a lot more fun and easier for me to work with an artist to be able to get the result that they're looking for. When it comes to engineering, I like to try to keep it pretty simple. I think I probably use the same 14 to 20 plugins. Uh, some of the brands that I like to use is Waves, Universal Audio, McDSP, Sound Toys avid stock plugins mog audio spl fat is probably one of my favorites and probably one of the most innovative plugins that you could possibly use one of the big companies that i've really been using a lot lately is isotope whether if it's for mastering i use nectar three when it comes for vocals I actually have nectar three on my vocal chain when it comes to my podcast uh, it just creates a really awesome tone gives it a little bit of grit, and it makes it sound musical even though it's supposed to be a podcast. For drums, I think I only use about three plugins, which is the CLA-2A. Usually that'll be for my snare. I like to use the SSL Channel G-Series on pretty much every single drum instrument. I'll just do a very little bit of cuts and some boosting. I like to use their compression and their gait, especially when it comes to hi-hats. It just creates a different type of rhythm. Um, the Arvox I like to use on kicks. It just makes that kick sound super monstrous. When it comes to 808s, a lot of people ask me what I use in my 808s. I use pretty much one plugin and one plugin only, and that's the Maserati B72. Um, I usually go between probably the Fat Rock and there's another preset that I like to use, but that's pretty much all I use. It just, makes it sound really thunderous and adds a lot of subharmonic frequencies that you really feel that you can't really hear on smaller speakers. When it comes to vocals, I use a lot of the same plugins. I love using the Renaissance Bundle, one if it's the R Channel, the REQ, the Rvox, RDSer, R Compressor, all those things I love to use on a vocal. Uh, There's one particular plugin that I think I've mentioned in one of my Instagram posts that I had mentioned when it comes to lead vocals. I love using the SPL Vitalizer MK2T. There's three presets that I like to switch between, which is the sexy male vocal, clear female vocal, and dry male vocal. Something about those three presets is like 75% of my vocal chain that gets to the end result that I like to have. Um, I love using the our Reverb uh, by Waves, I love using the Valhalla Reverb. That's actually something new that I purchased, I think, this past year. I use it all the time when it comes to reverb. It just has a really nice, lush sound to it It makes it sound really spacey. But at the same time, it sounds full with the vocal. Uh, I love using the H-Delay. H-Delay just has a really cool sound and has a really cool texture when it comes to adding effects to vocals. Um, I would say one of my least favorite plugins to use is Auto-Tune. Auto-Tune is the bane of my existence. It's being used more and more with the clients that I work with. It's not necessarily that I hate the plugin. It's when an artist comes to the studio and they have a certain idea in mind that they want to capture... So usually when I throw the plugin on there, I'll figure out the key of the song, I'll set it to the key of the song, and then based on what they tell me, I'll figure out how much it's going to be heard or how natural it's going to be. About eight times out of the ten, it doesn't come out the way that they hear it, and a lot of times it seems like it's my fault. Um, But a lot of the cases that they're trying to sing it, they just can't hit the notes that they're trying to. So a lot of times what happens is they don't like to hear it while they're recording, so they like to do it after the fact. What happens is if you don't hit the right notes, then you have to physically move those notes to the right spaces, and that usually takes up a lot of time. What happens is people will book a two-hour session, wanna do an auto-tune bass song, and they'll spend an hour and 59 minutes trying to record it, just perfect for you to try to tune it, and you only have one minute left in your session. So a lot of times I usually get the short end of the stick of knowing how to use it quickly and get the result that the artist is looking for. So a lot of times I'm always asking questions to some of the different engineers that really know how to use it and how to get the best out of the artist using it. But it's just one of those things that it is my weakness. It's not one of my strong suits. Hopefully within 2020 and 2021, I can make it one of my strengths and I can just, use it with ease and know how to work with an artist with it. Um, but it's just one of those things that it's always been a weak spot for me. So if there's anybody that really knows extensively about autotune and knows how to use it well and work with an artist, if you want to come to the studio and show me how I would be glad for you to do that because that's going to help me. And most definitely I will let you come to the studio and do whatever you want and we can cook up something really, really fire. Um, so that's really a lot of the gear that I use. That's a lot of the plugins that I use. I... And pretty simple, I try not to be too overly complicated. To me, when it comes to creating, it's about being fast, it's easy, and you're having fun. I feel like when you overly experiment and it becomes more of a frustration, it becomes a job to make a song and then sometimes you can hear it in the music that it doesn't sound natural. It sounds very forced or overproduced because it's too there's too much thought that's put into it. And you put too much pressure on yourself to make it the best that you possibly can. And it doesn't actually get the results that you want to when it comes to being perceived by the listener. So really, when it comes to producing or people that always ask, how do I make better beats? Or how do I make better quality beats? Just keep it simple, have fresh ingredients, you'll get a fresh product at the end of it. That's usually one of my mottos. Uh, So if you guys want to dive deep more into the gear that I use or want me to actually give you a visual representation, like I said, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram, or hit me up on one of my older YouTube videos, and I could definitely make that happen for you very, very soon. All right, guys, that's it for episode five. In the bag, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I made this one much shorter and sweeter compared to episode four, which was 90 minutes, but I feel like it was totally worth it. It was a little bit different recording this episode because typically I have somebody always next to me where I feel like I'm having a conversation with, but it was a way to break out of my shell to be able to produce better content for you guys, even when I'm by myself. My goal for 2020 is to have 100 episodes produced and released, so that means two episodes per week. My ideal goal is to have every even episode be an interview and every odd episode be just by myself covering different topics. Make sure to hit that follow button on Instagram and Twitter at your God E-A-R-G-A-W-D. And also make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, The God Life Vlog, and hit that bell notification for any new videos that I'm going to be posting very, very soon. Hope you guys have a good day, and I'll see you next time. Watching you off, I tell you no, I just don't talk, that shit ain't me. I swear to God that me can't talk, she was talking right with me. my feet. H ballad, on feature, Yes, doctor seven. but me misunderstood it. But my dad did lie to me. Hanging on by a thread from a cliff to a hanger. Trips in a trailer shaped shift when the baggers. I live off my word. It's a gift to a curse. Blow a kiss to your babies and gifts to an influencer. Now she dig on my latest creation. Cheaper the keeper, safer the saver. I need a receipt of the evil deceive you. That's why my buddy's putting its ink to the paper. Yeah.